0: This podcast is supported by Wesleyan Financial Services, providers of specialist financial advice to members of the legal profession. Wesleyan's team of dedicated experts have been helping law firms and their employees achieve financial well-being over many years, providing personal and commercial financial advice, in-firm seminars and online guidance. Strategic partners with the Law Society, Wesleyan is proud of its partnership with Women in the Law UK. For more information about Wesleyan, visit wesleyan.co.uk or to arrange a financial education event in your firm or a no-obligation financial health check, connect with Sarah Deacon, Wesleyan Area Manager on LinkedIn. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Talking Law from Women in the Law UK. I'm Sally Penny, a barrister based in Manchester at Kenworthy's Chambers and a Joint Vice Chair of the Association of Women Barristers. I'm also the founder of Women in the Law UK, an organisation which is passionate about supporting the next leaders in law. We put on regular events, host masterclasses and also enjoy an annual dinner and conference. Do come and learn more about what we do at womeninthelawuk.com. You could also connect with us on social media. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on LinkedIn. Just search for Women in the Law UK. On this episode, I'm excited to bring you an interview from Stephanie Boyce, Deputy Vice President of the Law Society of England and Wales. An experienced general counsel, Stephanie is set to become the Vice President of the Law Society later this year and President in 2021 next year the first ever black woman to hold that post. I started by asking Stephanie how her appointment
1: came about. Firstly, can I say thank you for having me. We are recording this episode during the coronavirus pandemic, yes. um, which of course is having a huge impact on the ability of all of us to practice safely and uphold the rule of law. But it's important, may I say, that we stay positive, we stay strong, we stay healthy, and where we can, we stay home. So how did I become deputy vice president uh, of the Law Society? Would you believe me if I told you it took me four attempts to become deputy vice president? Four attempts? Yes, absolutely, four attempts. I had my first go in 2015. I had been on council for about two years by that point. But such was the belief in my dream and my determination that I kept going until that dream became a reality.
0: Amazing. I mean, that is so fantastic to hear. Now, can I ask, why do you share that? Um, you know, many people wouldn't say, for example, we've interviewed lots of silks. Well, I have interviewed lots of silks silks and QCs. And people don't often share the journey or, or the attempts, what, you know, why
1: do you share that and what do you think we can all learn from it? Because it's wonderful to hear. I share it because it's important for people to understand my journey. So people don't think I was an overnight success because, you know, if I was an overnight success, it was the, lo- the longest night ever. It's important that we recognise resilience and determination. And for me, I talk about the four attempts because The lessons for me were not just in how many times I didn't succeed. The lessons I took from the the lack of success and I refined and I built and, and it propelled me forward. So I persevered until something happened. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And it's important that I tell that story so people understand that you don't just give up at the first hurdle the first obstacle. And many, many people have said to me, I would have given up after the first attempt. Yes, But Sally, I can tell you, I would have kept going. And if it meant a fifth time, a sixth time, a seventh time, I would have kept going because such was the belief in my dream and the determination that I had. And long before I became deputy vice president, I told myself that I was deputy vice president.
0: Wow. That's so powerful. So In essence, you know, the self-belief, we've been doing lots of webinars to deal with well-being and mindset. So the self-belief is really important before one can even act on it.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, I've always said and absolutely believe that not every advice that people will give you is advice that you will take. You have to know what advice to take and what advice to leave alone, leave well alone. So there were people that told me, Stephanie, you know, go home and rest. You know, you, you, it's never gonna happen. In our lifetime, we're never going to see um, an ethnic minority person become president of the Law Society of England and Wales. And the more they kept telling me, you know, the more the naysayers kept saying, it's never going to happen, the more I kept thinking, hmm, it's going to happen. And that's absolutely what spurred me on. And the message to people, as I say, is to keep pushing and push. You persevere until something happens. That is how change comes about. Fantastic. Because you will be the first black
0: female president of the Law Society of England and Wales. I mean, that is
1: historical. Absolutely. And to put it into context, uh, when my election was announced last year, the Times newspaper reported, absolutely, that I will become the first ethnic minority president of the Law Society in 2021. So to put it into context, that in the almost 200-year history of the Law Society, you know, we've only had, I will become the sixth uh, female to become president. And as I say, the first black person as deputy vice president and vice president, as I will ascend to shortly. And then the first black person, the first ethnic minority to become president in 2021, a remarkable achievement. And I'm so honored to serve my profession, especially during these difficult times and immensely grateful for the support that I'm receiving and have received. Fantastic.
0: Well, I wonder if we can talk now about your journey in law and into our profession. I know I'm at the bar and you're at this lister end, but how did you become a lawyer? Because you've had quite an interesting journey, haven't you?
1: Well, absolutely. Growing up, I saw so many injustices being perpetuated around the world and people not being able to access their legal rights. And I chose to study law, and I think that's why so many of us choose to study law, is because we want to broaden our own awareness, knowledge, and understanding of rights and legal issues, and together with the confidence and skills needed to deal with disputes and enable access to justice and to make a difference. So for me, legal rights mean absolutely nothing if you don't know when those rights are being taken away, or if you don't know how to enforce those rights. Uh, Hence, why I got into law because I wanted and want to make an absolute difference.
0: What about the city? Can you just talk to us about the careers and roles
1: that you've had in law? Yes. So, essentially, I went into in house in 2004. I'd been in private practice, and in fact, at that time when I qualified in 2002, other routes other than private practice were not really spoken about. People didn't tell you that there's an alternative other than to going into private practice and aspiring to become a partner in a private firm. I recognised very quickly and having been made redundant twice in as many years that the landscape was changing. The reductions in public funded work meant that I had been made redundant twice in as many years as I said. And so it was important for me to take a view. And I went in-house in 2004, landing my first job with the General Counsel of the Bar, and solicitor to the then complaints commissioner. I then went on from there to work for uh, ACCA, the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants. I spent five years with them. I was promoted very quickly. I did a master's there in in public law and global governance with King's College, University of London. And that then propelled me into governance taken up my first uh, general counsel role shortly after leaving ACCA, but not before I had worked for the pensions regulator. I went on to become director of legal services at the Chartered Institute of Arbitrators, and then went on to take up my first GC role, I think about 2017. I then studied, and I think, unless I'm corrected, that I'm the first office holder to hold another qualification from another body. So I'm also a fellow of what was previously ICSA, but it's now the Chartered Governance Institute. So a number of roles I've held with Ofsted, pensions regulator, co I've worked, podiatrists, and lastly, in my own consulting company. Wow.
0: Uh, So actually quite an interesting route, which you're absolutely right, is not talked about. Um, And indeed, I know I do a lot of research on these interviews, but I hadn't checked that, that you're the first uh, person to to hold a dual qualification, so to speak, which is wonderful to hear. Can I ask you, Stephanie, what is there a case or a scenario that really was a game changer for you in your profession?
1: I think when I went to the Bar Council in um, 2004-2005, Reapy, a barrister, was the most notable case there. And of course, you know, um, uh, that case concerned whether you could be a judge in your own course. I was the instructing solicitor, so it wasn't reported that I was the instructing solicitor on that occasion, but I got to work with some really interesting characters and see how the law was being applied. I found myself in the Royal Courts of Justice in the canteen there. And if I may, Sally, just share this story. I found myself in the canteen and I was absolutely riddled with cold, but you know, was pushing on as you do. And we've taken a break in the case And uh, I found myself sat at, uh, uh, you know, like a breakfast bar sort of thing. Yes. And um, I realised I was sat in between two men in raincoats who were acting a bit suspicious. So I started to look at them and think, well, what's going on here? And then I noticed that they had earpieces in. Oh, yes, yes. Exciting. Yes. And (laughs) I looked around and, you know, the person sat just next to me, but albeit the chap uh, in one of the raincoats in between us was Sheree Blair. And I didn't know what to do with myself, you know. (laughs) Um, I just absolutely did not know what to do with myself. I thought, you know, all of a sudden I sat up straight and I didn't know whether to talk to her, approach her, whatever. But, you know, it was figures that I saw that, you know, um, and and even before that interaction, Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, you know, all those strong characters who'd immersed themselves in the law, And applied the law to, you know, to affect real change. And again, you know, I know controversially at times Margaret Thatcher. And I remember one of the first times when I was asked one of my inspiring role models, and I mentioned Margaret Thatcher, and I was absolutely booed at this dinner table. And I said, let me finish, let me finish, because you haven't heard why I've Mm. cited her as a role model. And for me, I make myself very clear I do not agree with her later policies and the things that she went on to do. But for a young child, a black child growing up in rural Buckinghamshire, where there weren't many role models of the same colour as me, there weren't many people of the same colour as me. Um, And you certainly didn't see it on TV. You didn't see it in our history books at that time. But she was the education minister, female education minister. She was our first female prime minister. And she was a barrister because initially I wanted to become a barrister and then subsequently changed my mind. You know, and I used to, at seven years of age, I used to do the best Margaret Thatcher impression. I can't do it anymore. So I was going to (laughs) insert,
0: yeah, you know, an ad hoc question and say do an impression.
1: (laughs) But, um, But, you know, absolutely. She was somebody that I thought, I looked up and thought, well, if she can do it. I can do it.
0: Yes, yeah, so interesting, actually. Um, and so was she your only role model, or did you have others who inspired you? I know to, you name you know some of my own uh, heroes, you know, Nelson Mandela and, and some of those people. Did you have any sort of um, more accessible role models or uh, inspirations or, or mentors or anything like that in your career?
1: Absolutely. In 2017, so my first general counsel position was at the Society of Podiatrists. And I went to work with um, uh, a remarkable lady called Dr. Rosemary Gillespie, um, who I I mentioned in your book, Talking Law, yes? And Dr. Gillespie, when my energy had waned and dipped, she absolutely inspired me and encouraged me and uh, gave me the opportunity. And and it was an absolute pleasure to work with her. So she was a more tangible person, uh, you know, rather than, The rest, uh, perhaps, who have earned their place in history that we talk about past and present. Also, my grandfather, who fed me his hopes and dreams. But there are so many people who've inspired me into taking a leap of faith, from the man who had a dream to the one who took a long walk to freedom and to the woman who dedicated her life to the poor and disadvantaged. And Sally, because of those people, you know, we are all benefactors of their of the the work of those individuals and the sacrifices they made. And I say true examples of the life of service. So for instance, my grandfather, well, my grandparents and my parents who left the Caribbean to come to this country, the sacrifices that they made to come here and for me to have and relish in the opportunities that this country has given me. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Stephanie, well, can I ask you this? I am a black woman barrister. I'm sure that people can see that if they just Google me, but the work that I've been trying to do on gender uh, and race, it is really about improvement and showcasing those who exist. I wonder what your views are about diversity, social mobility in our profession, and really what can each of us do to improve it?
1: My view is is that the legal profession, whether that's at the bar, whether it's at the, uh, the solicitor end, the judiciary, is that the legal profession should be open to all, regardless of your background or wealth. You know, and it's my intention to leave this profession more diverse and inclusive than the one I entered. But Sally, this has got to be a shared ambition amongst each and every one of us. And that, for me, means bringing men into that conversation. As we advocate, as we shape, we discuss. Men are absolutely vital to that conversation. The issue of social mobility, for me, is another focus. As president, I will um, have a number of areas that I will be able to concentrate my efforts on. And social mobility, for me, is is important. It's important, Sally, because I was told time and time again that because of my socio-economical position, and let's be clear, I grew up in a single-parent household on a council estate. I was told my outlook. I was expected not to go to university, not to become, as I will become, president of the Law Society of England and Wales, but you know, to have achieved from where I was and where I grew up and all the people who told me that you'll never make it as a solicitor, because, you know, you haven't gone to the right university the first time around. You don't come from the right socioeconomical position. And what I say is, there are lots of initiatives out there to try and address the issue of social mobility. And I welcome all of those. But there is still much work to be done. And and especially in this country, uh, where social mobility in the last four years has been on the decline. And, And let's be clear, Sally, that during this current pandemic, it is likely that the issue of social mobility and diversity is going to be hugely impacted. And it is vital that we continue to keep the discussion alive and that we focus attention on these issues. Because whether as a black woman or a person of colour or a male or female, gay, straight, disabled, poor, rich, whatever, we all want the same thing. And that is equality of opportunity, and to be recognized for the individuals that we are. Absolutely. That's so, so well, well. Um,
0: Stephanie, can I ask you, you're obviously very passionate about many things uh, and you've had quite an interesting career, as I said earlier. Well, what do you do about well-being? Burnout is high. Uh, I don't advocate everything I preach. I must say, I probably have too many glasses of wine and, <laughs> and not enough yoga, I actually. But uh, what do you do for relaxing and well-being switch off? I note uh, from my book when I interviewed you, you're a keen cyclist is one of the Mm. things.
1: So what I did before this pandemic is slightly different than what I'm doing now. But of course, the mental health of legal professionals is, is an absolute growing concern. And of course, more so in this current crisis. But it's important that we find the right balance. So before, I absolutely loved cycling. And I know that currently, you know, we are able to go out for exercise, you know, once a day um, and depending on who you speak to, an hour a day or however. But I haven't taken that uh, opportunity to do so. So what I do is, is and I haven't found myself reading terribly outside of work whilst I've been confined. But what I do is I get up, I try and get up the same time as I would as if I was going into Chancery Lane. I start the day off with the body coach as he seeks to get uh, uh, the nation fit. Oh, Um, yeah, me too.
0: Gosh.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolute lifesaver, Joe Wicks has become. So uh, I do that. Um, I do have a garden. I'm absolutely blessed that I have a garden. And I do go into that and spend time. But, you know, I also take time to be very active, to to speak to family, because I'm not able to uh, uh, be with family at the moment. My little nephew, who's 11, came from London before the lockdown, to spend time with me because I live alone. So I'm grateful for uh, his uh, company. And he keeps me amused because I'm not a cook. So trying to, to feed the two of us has been quite interesting. But, you know, it's important that one finds time to listen to one's body and to what's going on around you. Take time to smell the flowers. So before the pandemic, when I would go to go out and speak or whatever, I would disappear for a few moments before I went on stage or, or to speak. And probably you'd find me in the toilet, in a safe, quiet space where I could just take some time just to breathe, just to reconnect and ground myself and just you know listen to my heart rate. But yeah, I practice mindfulness, um, listening to uh, my breathing. I haven't done much listening to classical music, cycling as I say. I've probably been watching far too much TV in the background. I'm not moving around as much every single day. I used to do my 10,000 steps at least. Yesterday, I did 11,000 steps for the first time in over a month. Wow, I was so pleased.
0: Wow, (laughs) and and you're still alive and able to smile. And I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) That's really, really, um, really wonderful to hear. Um, Stephanie, might I ask, who is your favourite fictional lawyer? Uh, And uh, what's your favourite
1: book? my favourite book and my favourite film are the same. And that, for me, is The Colour Purple because it reminds us to stop and smell the roses. One of the things this pandemic has done, we've had to stop and take stock. And I'm hoping that you know, that, that we will come out, you know, as I say, stronger, that we will come out kinder, more compassionate, and we will take time. Before taking time, you know, I've got people who are rallying around me, You know, I just got a message saying I'll drop the milk off at yours in an hour. You know, people who are really going out of their way. um, Keen to see me stay safe for obvious reasons. But I do hope, that is my fervent hope, that we come out stronger and more compassionate as individuals and as a society um, and and citizens of the world. So my favourite fictional lawyer is Atticus Finch, who featured in To Kill a Mockingbird, a book I read as a child, many years ago when I lived in America. And the reason he's my uh, favorite fictional lawyer is because all of his impressiveness, his calmness and dignity in the face of such adversity. And for the following quote, you never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. That resonates with me so much. It resonates with me so much because I remember at times thinking, I wish I could be that person. I wish I could be that person. Only to find out that actually the person that I am and the person I'm seeking to become is okay. I'm a beautiful person and I can make a difference without trying to imitate or be like anyone else. That's so powerful. Thank you.
0: Well, that just leaves for me to ask you really, what's next apart from taking your post as the president? What what what's next? What can we expect? You've got—is it three years you'll be in post?
1: No. So what will happen is this year I will go on to become vice president, which I will hold that position for a year. Then after the year, I will then ascend to presidency for a year. So what's next? I mean, we celebrated in December twenty nineteen, which seems almost like a long time ago, Sally. We celebrated the a um, hundred years of the Sex Disqualification Removal Act of 1919. And, you know, we talked about the achievements within the 100 years from 1919
0: to 2019.
1: Yes. The next 100 years holds the hopes and dreams of our future generation of lawyers. And for me, you know, when we're no longer talking about gender equality, discrimination, biases, because we've achieved equality for everyone, and everyone is able to reach and achieve their full potential, because they have a quality of opportunity, and have not been constrained because of their race, their background, gender, disability, sexuality, age, and all those other things that are perceived obstacles. That's what I would like to see, and what we must all work towards achieving. Because this world is a beautiful place, and there is room for us all. Absolutely, and certainly, our
0: future women in the law and men in the law absolutely deserve to be part of it. Thank you so much Stephanie, it's been wonderful chatting to you and uh, stay
1: safe Absolutely, stay safe stay strong, stay healthy and stay positive and stay at home as well where you can
0: A huge thank you to trailblazer Stephanie Boyce Thank you again for listening to Talking Law with me Sally Penny Do connect with me on Twitter at SallyPenny1 We'd love it if more people heard our podcast, so if you could spare just a couple of minutes to leave us a review, that will help people find us. Until the next episode, do check out the latest Women in the Law UK book. It's a look at how far the profession has come in the last 100 years, featuring career and well-being advice from women and men. It's available now on Amazon. Just search for Talking Law by Sally Penny. And don't forget to visit us at womeninlawuk.com for all the latest news about our organisation. We look forward to connecting with you. Talking Law was produced by Sam Walker and is a What Goes On media production. Bye for now.